Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Preece of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today we're going to be talking about keeping top management in a competitive job market. And that's the title of today's podcast, and I find that very interesting, but I have some questions. So, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning, Eric. Hey, Eric. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, this is a, an interesting topic. It's a little bit different than what we've had in the past. Keeping top management in a competitive job market. What is that all about? Yeah, we're going to come from a couple of perspectives today on that uh, front. Obviously, with the market, uh, a job market tightening up in the United States today, uh, talent is going to be tough to get. And we're starting to see that even in the private sector. But that's going to be a focus on one side. The other side is, well, why is it important? And from a succession of a business enterprise is where we're going to spend most of our time mm-hmm. today is really the key issue that we get involved with pretty much routinely. But let's start with the basics. When you look at the corporations of America, the larger corporations like IBM's of the world and Cisco's and all those major companies, because it's a public company, they offer something called stock options. And the listeners might be familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Basically, that is a offering of stock to take a position in a company. And as the company grows, hopefully your stock value grows and you have a big nest egg when you retire someday. Well, private health companies don't have that luxury. They have to create something on the private sector, and it's usually referred to as deferred compensation. It's a way to to reward key executives for performance, uh, and hopefully through bonus structures and pay plans, they can reward a higher benefit uh, other than their salaries. Mm -hmm. So that's the focus that today we're gonna come from. All right. And if you look at a risk of succession, as, as my dad said, when you, you talk about privately held companies, and we, we alluded to this or touched on this in an earlier podcast when we asked the question, if something happens to you tomorrow, what happens to your business? And especially if you are, let's say, a sole owner of a privately held company, there's a lot of risk if, if you were to pass away or some become disabled as a business owner, who then takes over that mantle of running the company, making sure that it's kept afloat and the values protected for the business owner's family. And so these executive compensation type plans can be a nice way to help secure that value as well as provide, let's say, a fringe benefit to the executive, him or herself. Yeah, so the risk is high uh, when it comes to not having that detail in place. Uh, I'd like to say, Michael, you probably agree that I would say at least 95% of the companies we work with have very little focus on that particular issue. So with our help, we develop with them a strategy, either from a recruiting standpoint or from a retention standpoint, or from an exit standpoint, we kind of build a model to make sure all those risks are uh, taken care of. There's a story that I share years ago, I, I dealt with a family in Philadelphia. It's an interesting story where I walked into a meeting and the um, G1 uh, father said, okay, John, you're a witness. I'm gonna sell this ABC company to my son-in-law for a dollar. So I said, okay, what's going on, guys? <laughs> so, well, I don't want to, I don't want to run this business anymore. And Mike, Mike said he could run it and uh, I'm selling to it for a dollar, but he agreed to take over a million dollars in debt. So I looked at Mike and he said, I'm willing to do that. He scribbled a piece of paper. They both signed it and the deal was cut. 
That's how simple some things work. It failed me. So anyway, <laughs> Highly <so>. official. Uh, <laughs> Michael be an attorney. That was yeah. probably a, whatever. Anyway, so to make a long story short, before I left that meeting, Mike pulled me aside and he said, John, listen, I just obviously bought this company, but I have an issue. This company is supported by three technicians. Now, just a little background on this company. They were probably the first company in the mid-80s that started a magazine, like a PC magazine. They mm -hmm. did spreadsheet analysis and they did all all software analysis. It's way beyond me, but he was trying to promote this magazine. This gentleman was way ahead of his time. And it really wasn't doing that well. But there was three engineers that worked for the company that Mike came to me and said, if I don't secure these three guys, the company's worthless. So we'd been in the strategize on how do we take care of these particular three gentlemen. So my team and I met with each one of the three executives individually and said, if you're going to build a compensation package, what would you build? And all three of them gave us different packages, which is kind of interesting. And when you understand deferred compensation, it's really a contract between the company and the executive. And it's just between those two. So you can negotiate anything you want. So all these three executives negotiated separate contracts, and we put it in place, and they became part owners of this company via a phantom stock arrangement. And I won't get into the details of what that is, but it's like a stock in a public company, like a stock option, but it's on the private side where you own a value and a share based on the growth of the company. So basically, long story short, three years later, the company was sold to a larger company for like $17 million. And these three gentlemen walked out with a million dollars apiece, roughly. And Mike called me the, the hour after the deal. He said, John, I told you we gave him too much stock. And we started to laugh because <laughs> Michael walked away with probably 14 or 15 million gross. And these guys walked away with a million apiece. But if he lost any one of these executives, he probably wouldn't have carried that value. And that company probably wouldn't have purchased them. Mm -hmm. So that happens along the way. And that was a very successful event based on the strategic positioning of these executives in a compensation structure that allowed them to win when the company won. won. Yeah. So it, it's, it's exciting when you, when you look at it. I know this is probably a boring topic for some, but we get excited because it protects the value that our families are building in their enterprises. And that goes along with what Michael said earlier, succession is important on every front for us. Mm -hmm. So these, these golden handcuffs, we call them, allow us to, to retain and, and recruit these key executives to support our families uh, that are privately held companies. And, and these, just, just so listeners are aware, these benefits are typically, or these benefit packages are typically added, let's say, on top of, quote unquote, more traditional benefit packages like a 401k plan or a, a, a profit sharing or pension plan. Those are more ERISA-based plans that, that really affect everybody or, or benefit everyone within the corporation. These packages are sort of on top of that, that you really put in place for specific executives that are what we call key employees to the company. So they're not ERISA-based plans. As my father said, they're really a contract between the company and the executive in terms of, you know, let's say an extra retirement benefit down the road, um, these, these phantom stock plans that will allow that executive to be able to participate in the value of, of the business sale, but not actually own stock in the company, which I think is a, a key point when we're talking with business owners is they say, hey, I want to incentivize these executives and give them some benefit in the company, but I don't want to give up my ownership today. Yeah. I don't want to give up control. I don't want to make them, let's say, a shareholder today, but I want them to have that benefit somewhere down the road. And that's where these phantom stock plans could come in. So the next story I'll tell you was a, was a case we worked on the West Coast where it was an electric company. 
what was the name of the, what was the name of the, the, of the company, Michael? It was uh, what the electrical contracting contracting company. company. Yeah. Um, he he, his, it was a really interesting company, but it was very successful, and he had a key engineer that he wanted to take care of uh, in case something happened to him. And he said, "I'm just going to give him the company." Well, I'm not sure his wife would be too happy about that. So we strategized with him on how to make all sides happy. So basically, we we set up something referred to as an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan, where he sold the company to the employees, and there was about 80 employees. The uh, executives were obviously running the show with him. He walked away from that deal, tax-free money, but got the company in hands of the employees for one very important reason other than he wanted to walk away with a tax-free exchange. He had a retention recruiting problem because he's in Southern California or actually in the LA, uh, Bay Sydney, area, Bay area mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And it very much competitive uh, issues with uh, all the main IT folks out there um, like Google and, and Apple. So they were stealing all his employees. So he put this ESOP in place to say, listen, you guys work with me, you're gonna be a part owner of the value of the growth of this company along the way. So not only did he have a good turn of events from recruiting to that model, the retention was even stronger and they're up like 30% this year in revenues mm. because we believe because of the ESOP took a, a big part of that. So there's a lot of very interesting ways we can look at getting these companies positioned for a transition one way or the other. Yeah, and, and and just to add to that, we talk about these plans as being good ways to protect the family in the event that something were to happen to, let's say, the, the sole owner of a company. But having really good management team, is, as any business knows, is, is an incredibly valuable benefit to a potential buyer of your company. And mm -hmm. so having these executive compensation plans and being able to recruit and retain key talent is really good for driving value long-term for the company. Because in this uh, example that my dad just mentioned, the company was actually sold to an employee stock ownership plan. That was one option from a succession standpoint that this business owner really liked because, again, he used that ESOP as a way to recruit and retain this key talent and protect them from some of these other tech companies that were trying to poach away his business. But if you look at how that transaction happened, he could have also sold to a third party. He could have sold to a competitor. And having these key executives in place and giving them this extra benefit really helps drive that value. So that was another key part to that particular case. It sounds like any way you go, right? Any any way that somebody wants to protect their company and and protect their family is the bottom line. It sounds like there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of different options. How yes. do you hone in on what is the best option for one person because or one business, I should say, because it seems like it would take a very very long time to flush that out. Oh, this is a big project. Yes, yeah, it's a it's a big project and some business owners are more reluctant to go down this path than others. Actually, I think we've been fortunate with a lot of the families we work with, where they are very close with their key talent, their key executives. So it's an, an easy conversation. But you can't imagine sometimes when you're having that conversation, a business owner may say, hey, you know, they, we, I already take care of them enough. I already give them a good salary. I, they have a, a 401k plan. And again, in today's competitive job market, that may not be enough to re mm. recruit and retain that that key talent. So yeah, this is a big project that we work on and, and we go through, there's a lot of different options in terms of, of let's say, types of these, these plans that you could put in place for an executive. And really beyond the scope of today's podcast, we're, we're very likely going to have a, a future episode where we're going to talk about 
these in more detail and bring in some specialists that this is this is what they do on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But that project in terms of designing it is something that we go through with with the families that are that are going down this path and give them the options, bring in specialists where needed to help design that custom for their business. Because as you can imagine, every business is different. Yeah. And so the, the, the way that these plans are designed have to be customized as well. Yeah, we, we designed Copper Beach. This is before Michael, but we I designed Copper Beach from conversations I have with, with clients, they directed me to build this family CFO role because they kept asking me, I'm not sure if I'm going in the right direction. I'm not sure if I have all the data. I'm not sure about the options I have. So they were looking for a leader in their financial group to say, show me the way or give me the options that I could look at. Because you just pointed out, Eric, it's very complex. And unless you have someone on top of that, pretty much routinely daily, you kind of lose sight and mm-hmm. lo- lose the power of, of the opportunity that exists to make things right and not get yourself into, into a pickle. Uh, we work with another family as an example where he he just runs his company himself. He's got a son in the business. If he died tomorrow, his wife inherits the stock. It's a $40 million company. Mm-hmm. What does she know about running the company? She knows very little. And the son is a younger gentleman who's not trained yet in the business. So the risk of that that particular event, if, if that client passed away, you have a spouse that doesn't know how to run the business. She now owns 100% of the stock. You have a, a son who is very hardworking, really a talented young man, but doesn't have the skill set to keep the company going. And there's a little management team in place. Mm. So Michael and I, for the last year, have been trying to focus on building this management team it's a very unique business. It's hard to find talent. It's about we're working on it. But the risk is still there. So what we did in the interim is a recommended a liquidity structure where you're using life insurance to have a key man policy in place on him that just in case he passed away, there was the money, there was enough money flowing into the company to support at least two to three years worth of that challenge. Mm-hmm. How do I recruit good talent in? How do I make sure the value gets where it's supposed to be and my wife is taken care of? So you can see it's a lot of very interesting ways you could look at these programs. But recruiting of talent, retention of talent is key to all this. That's why we thought the topic would be appropriate today. And, and I think that, and that, that that's a great story that, that you just uh, told, Dad. And, and really, if you think about it, when you have businesses that are very specialized in nature, that there's maybe a very niche area, there may be few competitors. Well, that sometimes makes it even more difficult to recruit and retain talent because it's not easy to necessarily find yeah. someone else if if one that that key executive leaves. So when the more specialized your business is, a lot of times these these key executive plans become even more important for you to consider because you really want to retain that key talent because as soon as they know a lot about your business, it's very difficult to replace them. Or if there's a competitor out there, it's much easier for them to poach that executive away from your company. So that's a very important thing to consider. And John, one of the things that you said a couple minutes ago was that they were looking, the specific example you gave, they were looking for a leader in their financial circle. And I want to come back to something we talked about on another podcast, which I think is the most powerful part of what you guys do, is that you don't take over all the financial roles. You come in and you help bring that team together. So when you're talking to a business owner that already has an attorney, a CPA, uh, maybe another advisor that they use, you're not looking to replace all them. 
you're just looking to help that team understand where this business owner wants to go and needs to go to protect that company and protect their family. So can you talk a little bit just about that as far as when you're looking at building the structure, how that, you know, how that kind of plays out, what the timing of that is to bring in all the rest of the team so they're all on the same page? Yeah, and it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago where, where my clients drove my design of Copper Beach because they kept saying the same thing to me over and over again. I don't have a leader, a financial leader in my group. My attorney, uh, he does my legal paper uh, papers. My CPA files my tax returns. My investment advisor manages my wealth. My insurance agent manages my risk. And I, I, they don't talk to each other. So I started to recognize that if I could build a practice that allowed us not to replace that group and work with that group internally, and I just get plugged into the program, as, as we talk about, and start to coordinate this but and work with the, the leader of the family to make sure that I'm clear where they're going and how they want to get there. And then I relay that messaging to the other advisors and we start to collaborate on these ideas. Mm. Now, if, if you look at what we do, we're a think tank. We're out of the box thinkers in one respect, but very traditional thinkers in others. It's just, so we try to tie both those together to make sure that the client knows all their options. The advisors know and will agree on our ideas and concepts. If they don't, we hash it out. And if they could prove value their idea, I'm all in. We don't have an ego that says we, don't, we have all the best ideas in the world. We work with a lot of very talented advisors that presented us with marvelous uh, suggestions that improve what we already had in place. So it's, it's a team approach. Uh, that we think is missing in the industry. And we work very hard under this model to do that. That's, again, why we use that term family CFO. Mm -hmm. Clients understand what that means in concept. We bring these issues up, Eric, is really what, what it is a lot of the time. So this this project, these executive compensation plans or, or recruiting and retaining key talent in a competitive job market is really – it's just a conversation we have with the family. And we ask these questions. You know, if something happens to you tomorrow – what happens to the company? How is the value protected? Or who are these key people that you have working in your company? What happens if he or she is uh, poached by a competitor? What's that going to do to your bottom line? So again, it's all about really just having a conversation. And then the client then with us will direct how we want to approach that project. And then as you alluded to, we bring in the other advisors as needed to help with that. So these contracts are obviously legal documents. They're legally enforceable contracts. So the family's attorney or business attorney is a vital component of that in that design process, as well as the CPA. There may be, let's say, a recapitalization of the, the stock in the company, depending on the design. And so all of the advisors really have to be on the same page with this particular project, and we really initiate that process. When the leader passes... I don't care where the, who they are or where the, or what company they're with or, or family head. When leaders pass away, things change. Mm -hmm. And unless things are in place, those changes could be negative in most cases because individuals didn't think through the impact, as I like to refer to, didn't connect the nine dots. You got to connect everything or things start breaking down along the way. Mm -hmm. So the focus on the key executives with the retention, key executives for succession, these key executives for uh, having a successful growth in a company because they're talented people. All these things bode well for a family, private health family, that want to transfer that value or that business to the next generation and beyond. If you don't have leadership, you don't have good management, things fail along the way. Michael, any more thoughts on that? Well, that, that you hit the nail on the head. I think that's important. There was one uh, one family we we initiated this process with that had a very specialized company. He had a 
a C, I guess you call it COO. He filled a, filled a lot of roles. The, basically, this executive was running the day-to-day operations of the company. The owner uh, owned 100% of the stock, but he, you know, it was in his 50s and the company was running like a well-oiled machine. And so he was able to go to a second residence for a few months out of the year and, and really trust this executive to really help run the company. But it's the same conversation that we've been talking about in this episode, where if something happens to that executive, if he was, uh, again, poached by a competitor or something happened to him, that would really, really affect the value of the company. And so we built a plan in place, this phantom stock plan, as a way to really reward this executive because he was really running the company and really was instrumental in growing this company. And so the owner said, I want to make sure that I'm protecting my executive and I'm protecting my family because I'm sort of phasing out of the company now. And I want to make sure that as I do that, that there's value there that helps protect the company and protect my family should something happen to this this key executive. And it was a really uh, very, very unique case. And again, one of those cases where it was a very specialized business. There wasn't a lot of key talent in this area or in this um, industry to be able to bring somebody in if he were to leave. So it became a, a really interesting case. And again, all of the advisors were a part of that design phase. And uh, the, the client was really happy with how it turned out because he was able to I don't want to say relax. He's still involved in the company, but he it, it gave him that peace of mind that there was this protective, this benefit plan in place that his executive wasn't going anywhere after this design. He was very generous with with how he designed this plan. I would hope that this executive doesn't go anywhere because he's being treated very, very well. So. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so, another story, and again, this is a, this is an interesting one. I work with a family out of New York, where let's put it this way: he had four children. He, he was very wealthy and he wanted to pass his assets to his four kids. He wasn't married. His wife passed away. But all the kids weren't necessarily top of the heap kids. One was in jail. The other three were probably on their way. Let's leave it at that. Mm. Not a very good family situation. Very rough, very tough. But but it was worth a lot of money. He needed help to get things resolved. So I met with the team of advisors and we came up with a strategy where we set up a trust, going back to those trust conversations, Eric, mm-hmm. we set up a trust where we sold the stock to this voting trust. We build a board of directors based on the current advisor team and two outside board members. And they actually ran the company from this trust if the client would pass away. Let's assume he passed away for a second. This group would manage the company on behalf of the children inside this trust for the benefit. Hopefully they would kind of get corrected somewhere along the line, but, but he wanted to not lose his wealth for his, for the, you know, for the generations. So you could set up trust to handle management, you know, situations, create board of directors, all these very creative ways you could help manage the succession of that company to hopefully preserve that wealth. And it's, it really is again, connecting the dots. That's a, that's a key. That's a great point because a lot of this from a design standpoint really does tie back into the family's estate plan. As an example, so we talked a little bit about the asset protection side of things. We we talked about that a, a, a few episodes ago, and so these executive compensation plans can also sort of tie into the family's estate plan. So again, it's sort of bringing all of these what many people or, or, or business owners think are separate issues really aren't. They're really all tied together, and so it's important to have the, the, somebody that's sort of overseeing this and being able to guide the family through all these different decisions to sort of, sort of build this uh, bulwark of good planning, so to speak. Yeah, it goes right back to you don't know what you don't know. 
right? Yeah. That's, that's where your clients are coming from. And that's why you guys are the experts. It's, I don't know what questions to ask. So having you bring those questions to mind and say, okay, well, what about this? Have you thought about this? You're like, oh, I, I can imagine that it's incredibly overwhelming for a business owner to then be presented all these different things that they, some of them they've done and some of them they haven't. Uh, but I think it, it's got to be incredibly reassuring as well that they know that you're on their side, that you're going to lead this team to take care of these things one at a time, well, you know, step and by we, step. And we nudge them. Yeah, we, we exactly. nudge them towards this because and – and we use the saying a lot of time. A lot of our business owners, is very common, they, they spend 90 to 100 percent of their time working in the business and very little time working on the business. Yeah. And, and these – these sorts of plans or protective measures are really working on the business, so to speak. So sometimes getting back to your early question, Eric, in terms of getting families or getting business owners to really focus on this, that's where the challenge can oh, come in because they're so they're so busy running their companies mm-hmm. that these sort of th- these exposures develop and they really aren't paying attention to it. So we help nudge them in that direction. I yell at them, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I yell at them. If you don't, you know, I say, listen, we have quarterly meetings. You have to make them. If you don't, I'm going to be on you that's because right. because it's critical that they stay on top of all this. And listen, I totally respect their business side of the world and they got a lot of moving parts every day and they got to focus on that. I get that. But ours is probably the most important thing they can do. And we try to get them to understand that they can create this tremendous bucket of wealth in in their company. But if it's not structured properly, it all goes away by the second generation because of poor taxation issues or whatever it might be. So we yell at them and I'm I'm on them and, and I tell them I'm the biggest pain in your life. And some of them agree. And, uh, and here's the thing is that, yeah. and we can end on this where I know we're running low on time, but bottom line is every top athlete in the world has a coach and that coach, sometimes they have to yell, they have to get in their face and say, oh, look, yeah. if you want to be at the top of your game, you got to focus on this. This is what's next, right? You need that kind of somebody that's going to be in your face to be able to say, listen, I know you got a lot going on. I know that there's so many things happening right now, but this is the one thing that you need to focus on in this moment. And then we take that next step together as well. So I think it's, you know, it's great. It's like, you know, yelling at them every once in a while. That's what we all need, right? (laughs) By the way, they usually say after our meeting, I'm glad we got together today because we resolved two other more issues that I wasn't aware of. So exactly. it, it is it is something we stay on top of them uh, because that's what we get paid to do, and we're not shy. Yeah, and both uh, both Michael and I are very committed to that. Right on. Well, that that's great, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Any other closing thoughts for today? Well, I, I, my closing thoughts would be there's a lot more to this topic that we really didn't get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of different technicalities in terms of how you design these plans, the different types of plans. And we're probably going to have a future episode that delves more deeply into this. We're going to bring in some specialists. So if you're interested in this, uh, stay tuned. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the idea of bringing some guests in to uh, give some of the finer points of what exactly they do and the overall role that you guys play in bringing all that together. I think that's a beautiful puzzle to put together. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will make it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are